Welcome to Chillin' in the Room, where each week a group of eight friends from college get together to bring you discussions on a range of different topics. I cannot promise you that this will be the best podcast you've ever listened to, but I can promise you that if you miss Chillin' in the Room with your best friends, this is the podcast for you. This week on our podcast, we continue our episode on what your life would have to look like for you to look back and be satisfied. Please enjoy part two. Hi. You know. Here it goes. All right, thank you for joining us for another episode of Chilling in the Room. Uh, on today's podcast, we have Blade. How's it going? Bowen. How's it going? Jordan. Hey. Josh. Hello, hello. Mark. What's up? in the bathroom. Oh, never mind. <laughs> Seth. <laughs> How are you? My and myself, Neil. Um, Jake is unfortunately not with us today. He is off being a studious student um, and having dinner at his professor's house. Um, Josh, do you have a do you have a story for us? Yeah. So this past weekend, uh, four of the eight had an entmoot and gathered up <laughs> in in North Georgia, uh, up in Clarksville. And if you've been to Clarksville, for all the fridges out there, there's not a whole lot to do. But across the street from our apartment is a bowling alley slash bar uh very odd setup you walk in through the bar to get to the bowling alley and something i found out you guys is the same people that run the bar also walk around to the other side to do the bowling alley so that was interesting interesting fact about bowling about grant street bar anyways love interest does both actually she does all three she works the bowling alley and the bar on that side, and then like the main bar, and then she also sings. No, the other so. one is my love interest, the one who defended my honor when I ordered mozzarella sticks, and Mark was giving me crap about it. <laughs> um, you do. You have so many love interests; it's hard to keep up. Well, it's one-sided. Um, so, it, wow. we spent probably about three hours there, um, myself, Bo, and Neil, and Mark, and everybody aside from Neil was drinking. And we had had a, <laughs> we had had a little bit, and then I went up to the bar and said, "Hey, can I get a round of shots? I don't really know much about shots, so what can you tell me?" Because I was trying to find those same shots we had the other night, uh, Mark and Bowen, that were really tasty and didn't taste anything like alcohol, but did the trick. And she's like, "Hey, do you like Fireball?" And absolutely, I said, "Yeah." Um, and so we had that round of Fireball, which was really uneventful and really awful. It was um, gross. Yeah, it was very, very gross. And <laughs> so probably two and a half hours in, we all ordered food and we had all eaten our food. I had my mozzarella sticks. Neil, I don't remember what you had. I think you had a burger. I had the smokehouse um, burger. It was great. Smokehouse burger. Mark had the smokehouse burger. Bowen had a bison burger. And it's like, what, 10 o'clock, 1030? No, the and... bison burger was the next day. I had the smokehouse burger. Actually, I had I had two smokehouse burgers. Well, there's the story. Um, <laughs> well, you you moved on to the next day. We didn't go Whatever. two days in a row. All right, just keep going. Um, and so we were about two and a half hours in. Neil sang, uh, what was that song again? Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue. Courtesy of the Red, White, right. and Blue. Completely sober, did a very good job. Um, didn't stumble over his words. He was great up there. 
And uh, okay, that song starts out acapella, and it is not fair. Okay, Neil, I'm tired of you saying that. that line. That song starts out. I'm gonna acapella. keep saying it. I've heard I that like twenty times. I didn't times. recognize it. You crushed it, Neil. And so after Neil gets off the stage, and we're all kind of sitting there, kind of wondering what to do with ourselves, we all start talking about how I don't know what we're talking about, but Bone grabs another menu. And mind you, he had already had an entire bison burger and an order of fries. And he's just like, yeah, sure, why not? And just orders an entire another bison burger, or a smokehouse burger now, and an entire <laughs> order of fries. And it's like 11 o'clock, and the waitress is bringing out Bowen's second burger. And I think the whole thing was demolished there, too. But it was just, it was so good. Because I had, we all just ate like a meal, and then Bowen just ordered second dinner, and it was great. <laughs> it was rather surprising. To was... sit back down after karaoke, and then like five minutes later, there's another burger in front of Bowen. But in his defense, it was they so were good. So good, they were delicious, and I was just so hungry and desperately trying to get sober because I had to work the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> I thought another smokehouse would help, and it did. I've heard that um, grease really helps you sober up. <laughs> it, it did for me on that night. It did not for Jake many moons ago. So I have a one thought for your thought, and I also have a motivational uh, thing to share. So I'm sure you all have been listening to Old Town Road by Lil Nas, which I actually enjoy quite a bit. I feel like with things like that, they're like real popular, real fast. You either hate them or love them, and this one I love. But anyway, Lil Nas tweeted this tweet. And it's got some language in it, so be ready. He tweeted, A year ago, today I was in college for some shit I knew I didn't want to do in life. I'm going to start that over because someone's writing a book. (laughs) And I can hear it. (laughs) Clack, 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 clack. All right, a year ago, today I was in college for some shit I knew I didn't want to do in life. But today I have the biggest song in the world with Billy fucking Ray Cyrus. Life can change quick. This shit really insane. And then the most liked response is that picture of uh, Dwayne Wade throwing the alley-oop to LeBron, like that famous picture. But it's Billy Ray Cyrus throwing the alley-oop to Lil Nas. (laughs) And that was just a great moment. So just some motivation. If things aren't going the way you think they are, just keep hustling, man. Things might work out. Billy Ray Cyrus might show up and be like, let's remix this. And then making book bucks. <laughs> so anyway, hang in there. Uh, my th- thought for your thought. What's that? Billy Ray is on his way. <laughs> I actually think he does a pretty good job. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's funny, but there's a lot of heart there, I think. A lot of achy, breaky heart. Do you have a uh, thoughts for our thoughts as well? I'm getting to it, Mr. Rushy Rush. (laughs) (laughs) All right, my thought for your thought is something that uh, Josh and I talked about a few days ago that I've just been thinking about this week. Um, And the way I put it was pretty, like, dumb. And the way Josh put it was much better said. But this is kind of something that Josh said he incorporates into his therapy a little bit. And just thinking about the idea of, well, I started thinking about it after our podcast. Do you feel like you play a character? 
and in the sense that <clears throat> I feel like we all have what we would maybe consider our true self kind of at the bottom of everything is how I look at it. And then there are kind of communication barriers in terms of relaying who you really are to someone else, if that makes sense. And that can be like a ton of different stuff for each person. Um, so at work, we semi-recently had a patient that was, um, I'm not sure if he was bipolar. He was just like super energetic and kind of spastic. And But you could tell that he knew that he struggled with communicating his actual thoughts and feelings and who he really was to other people, if that made sense. Like, it's almost like when someone makes like a really dumb joke and you can see in their face, like immediately they wish they could take it back. Mm. So like those little moments of like, there is someone underneath all of that, that may be really like a good person, but they have trouble communicating that well. So I guess it's sort of a challenge. It's definitely something I try and be, um, deliberate about and admittedly I'm pretty bad about but just trying to understand that there could be a whole range of things that prevents a person from communicating who they really are to you and that could be anxiety depression bipolar disorder um, I mean autism even I think um, so I just think that's an interesting thought just the idea that when two people are interacting there are maybe two truer people that are struggling to interact at mm. an honest level. And I think and I think this is what makes Josh such a good therapist is that's like super, that's like a priority for him. him. That's what he said is that's like the foundation of his therapy is the connection between like the two real people, uh, like the truer selves is kind of how I think about it. So, um, I don't know. It definitely helps me be more kind and loving to people, thinking that the things I don't like may not be who they actually are, if that makes sense. Because I know when I make dumb jokes or say mean things, I think, man, like, I hope they don't think that that's representative of who I feel I really am. So, I don't know. Some of them that helped me frame this whole conversation <clears throat> that you brought up, Owen, is and I don't really know another way to say it, and it might sound clinical and pretentious, but it's not. Um, is this idea of maladaptive defense mechanisms? So this idea of something that protects us from our real selves, because we don't want to experience some sort of vulnerability. And so when I experience people, and even look at myself with maladaptive defense mechanisms, I look at things like um, utilizing humor, uh, things that are are perceived to be positive, utilizing intellectualism. Um, but also things like um, utilizing avoidance or utilizing isolation or deflection. Um, all of these things that we present as our outer selves that protect the true self from being known because we're afraid of the true self being judged and the true self not being accepted. And so, I don't know, what keeps coming back to me is that stupid picture that circulates on the Internet of two parents fighting, like black and white of two parents fighting, and then white on the inside is two kids with their backs to each other crying like inside of the parents so it's like yeah. their inner self crying while the outer selves are fighting and those outer selves would be viewed as utilizing those maladaptive defense mechanisms that aggression um, that hostility everything that protects us from becoming vulnerable protects us from, from acknowledging that emotion because we're scared of that connection for what might 
for fear out of what might happen from that connection. Um, so that's what I come back to. Yeah, I mean, that's like, it is cliche and funny because you see it on Facebook everywhere, but that's sort of exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's a that's a really good thought for your thought. Um, I also hated being a thought for your thought because I really would like to do that as like a whole topic one day. Because I feel like there's a lot to, to really unpack there. Um, but that is a solid one. Um, so this week we are doing a, um, kind of continuation of our topic last week. I know everyone didn't get, um, to have out all of their thoughts on our, uh, topic. Um, so just to reiterate what the topic is, uh, for those of you who may be joining us for the first time, it is, which if you are joining us for the first time, definitely go back and check out our last one. Um, but it is, what would your life have to look back, look like for you to look back on it and be satisfied? Um, so just kind of that, what would you have to accomplish or what would you have to, where would you have to be in your relationships with people or whatever that may be for you, but what would have to, you look back and see to be satisfied with it, I guess. I have, I have a thought I can start with. It was one I wrote down when we finished last week to maybe get the ball rolling. Yeah, go ahead and, uh, share that with us, bro. Also the thing about. If it's your first time listening, that was really good. And to you, it's hard to slur your speech, but everything else is really good. Uh, yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> that was less good. Uh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> All right. So anyways, something uh, I mentioned last week, kind of offhand, but I've been thinking a lot more about this week, was the idea of, for me personally, um, fighting my own nature is uh that's like a real big part of i guess my view of myself just because my tendencies and my nature tend to be opposite of what i should be doing or like should react to a situation if that makes sense um which is something i kind of picked up from my college advisor who I shall not name, but I think you all know. And it's not something that he, like, specifically ever taught me or mentioned specifically, but just learning from him, I feel like he recognized uh, his own shortcomings, if that made sense, and just kind of decided to do the opposite of that. And that may sound like super simple and rudimentary, but that's been, like, huge for me. Um. And one of the, there's a song line I think about a lot, the song Michigan by the Milk Carton, um, kids. Milk Carton kids, yeah. Boys. And, <laughs> <laughs> I almost said that. I was like, that can't be right. <laughs> the Milk Carton boys. That's, that's not a real band. That's like a book series. Um, that was a bad joke. But anyways, that line, when it hurts most, it's the right thing. Obviously in that song... I feel like it's somewhat similar because in that song he's talking about kind of cutting things off with a a romance, cutting a romance off, which uh, can hurt, but it might be the right thing to do. And I kind of just that feeling of when it hurts most or when it's the hard thing, that's how you know it's right. That's like a pretty 
like key guiding principle for me in my life, if that makes sense. Because I never want to do the hard thing and I'm pretty lazy. And it's like, if I know in a situation, I don't want to do that. If I take a minute and think about it, I know that that's what I need to do because I don't want to do it. Um, so that was the first thought I had just for Can me I in terms of looking. That? Yeah, absolutely. I think what's in, um, I was going to use the word inspiring. I don't know if that's appropriate. Um, but what is most telling to me when you say that is I think you started off by saying um, recognizing the shortcomings and, and working to fix those. And I think it's just such a, a beautiful way to live in being willing to even recognize the shortcomings because so often I choose to not live in a space where I can recognize the shortcomings. And so I don't even, well, I mean, I, I recognize them, but in kind of like a self-depreciating, self-deprecating way. Like I'll recognize the shortcomings, but not in a way that I'll actually want to fix them, but in a way that I'll recognize them and sit in them and don't end up changing them. And so I think that in itself is unbelievably hard, at least for me, like to even live in a space where I'm willing to recognize my shortcomings. And I think that's pretty courageous to try to live in that way. No, definitely. I don't mean it to sound like that's what I do every day and I'm like so great at it. But I guess talking about being satisfied with your life, looking back, I hope that I, uh, can look back and say that the majority of the time, that's what I did, I guess. Well, I guess that's my question. Uh, going to your point of like over, like working through your shortcomings and recognizing what they are and stuff. Um, at what point is it allowing yourself some amount of grace? I guess what's the balance between allowing yourself some grace, knowing that those are your shortcomings, um, while also like still pushing through it? You know, I get. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Um, I mean, when it comes to... I mean, you talk about like, kind of like guilt. Yeah, well, just so your guilt of like... If it's something you're working towards, but allowing yourself the moment of like... Saying not completing every day. Like not yeah. progressing every day, but allowing yourself those days where... Yeah, you didn't do well today at it. Um, but just continue to push through and not like beating yourself up, you know? Yeah. I don't think that's good I here. Mean, but. No, no, I know what you're saying. And my thought on that, which may be a little bit off topic, but I would say as soon as it kind of that feeling of maybe anger or frustration or guilt becomes like wallowing at that point, it's like not helpful. But if it's pushing you to be better every day, I'd say, I mean, use it. I mean, that's what I do. At least I'm not trying to like write a self-help book here <laughs> but i'm just speaking from no. my own experiences like if i i i've gotten better about catching myself with like self-pity because i'm pretty prone to that but i catch myself being like you're just pitting yourself and it's not helping you or anybody else so well what's I, your what's y'all's experience because i know it's hard for me to to kind of move into that transitory space of moving from this idea of sitting in self-depreciation and recognizing my faults to recognizing my faults and moving forward as a result. Um, like what's Is that something y'all can easily do? Because it's not something I easily do. Um, I'm Because change is hard for me. And it's something that I will be more prone to just sit in rather than move through. I think that I'm very... Uh, it's very easy for me to like... 
start the ball rolling, like initially of like getting that motivation to like try to better myself in this one individual day. Um, but it's also super easy since it's easy to do that. It's also very easy to slip out of it, I think. Um, so I don't think the, <laughs> the ease of transition between those is necessarily helpful for me because it's that like you, I feel like I work on things for a while and then you slowly like transgress or you like very quickly, like I'll mess up or do something. And I kind of just like rips the rug out from under me and I like stay there for a minute and, do that kind of wallowing in that self-pity um, until something comes along kind of motivates me to get back on the horse of bettering myself and stuff, you know? Which I think I'm doing better about that, but I, I think that's traditionally what growing up it was like when I would recognize those things and like want to be better in those things. I would say it's kind of the opposite for me in that it's hard for me to get started. And then once I do get started, I find that it comes easier. Like, it's hard for me to take the first couple of steps. And if I was on my own, I probably wouldn't take those a lot of times. I think a lot of times Hannah helps to keep me accountable and, like, helps keep me um, focused and motivates me uh, because I, in turn, like, don't want to let her down. And so without that, I don't think I would, I definitely wouldn't be as motivated to, like, want to work on myself if I didn't have that accountability. Part of me is so hard to move on after a joke like that. Ridiculous. Part of me feels like uh, maybe sort of similar to Blade said in terms of kind of like having an accountability more in just a sense for me of talking with people as silly and simple as that may sound because there are a lot of people that have it way worse than me. So kind of just having that thrown in your face a little bit can be helpful sometimes, like, you know, uh, stop pitting yourself because it's, you have it pretty good. So get back on the horse and keep fighting. And I mean, obviously, you're like depressed. That's probably not what you want to hear. <laughs> keep fighting, brother. But, uh, I mean, if you're just like, because like you, I mean, like I said, I, I have a tendency to kind of wallow in self pity, but. It's just having friends around to talk to helps a lot for that for me. Like kind of getting out of that hole. Let me ask you guys this, and I'm <clears throat> I'll speak to a very personal like <clears throat> thing for me right now. Like with the medical news that I've got going on, um, I find this, and it's almost an ashamed thing for me to even admit. Um, but I feel like you guys could possibly relate like this finding the enjoyment and relating and wallowing in the self pity, um, enjoying sitting in this extreme state of like disease because it's kind of abnormal for me to sit in this place of incredible discomfort. Um, and so this is obviously a very extreme situation that, I kind of find myself in now, but in experience in relating it to my battles with depression and like suicidality and, and, you know, suicide attempts and stuff like that, like it was enjoyable for me to sit in that place of depression and sit in that place of discomfort and sit in that place of like emotional unwell, unwellness. Um, 
and not move on from that because it was comfortable for me. Um, because it was comfortable to sit in that rather than moving through it and knowing that I would probably be happier on the other side of it. Um, in the same sense that I'm sitting in this discomfort now, I'm trying to move through it and kind of engage in this positive attitude. Um, but it's very difficult for me, one, because there's, no, I don't know, there's so much uncertainty, but then also because sitting in the state that I'm in now doesn't require a lot of effort. And I think that's what it comes down to, is that I don't have to make a lot of effort. I don't have to put forward a lot of effort to try to change where I'm at. Um, because sitting where I'm at is comfortable because I've been here for a while. As far as, this is only kind of partially related. It's a little bit more related to what Neil was asking about what kind of pulls you out of that place. But I think a thing for me, obviously, can't speak to the extremity of what Josh is talking about, but anytime I've ever been in any kind of, I don't know, I think that's probably one of the things that we can all definitely relate around is an idea that sadness or some some of those more uncomfortable feelings, you can kind of be romanced by them. And it can be, you've lived like that for so long that that feels like you're normal, I guess. So any deviation from that, like you said, it feels like tremendous effort. And I don't know. But something that always has pulled me out of that, I guess, which is kind of in line with some of the stuff Bowen was saying last week, uh, is just beauty, I guess. Uh, hearing a song or seeing a movie or having a conversation just being reminded that there's still beauty in the world and there's a I'm gonna not remember the line now um, never mind but basically the idea is that there's beauty in the world and it's worth sticking around for it's worth there's because when you're in that place, your mind is telling you that you've seen it all, you've experienced it all, or that nothing is worth enduring what you're going through for the sake of seeing it. But, I don't know, when you have that moment with like a real work of art that is honest and like bare naked, and it reminds you that there are still beautiful things in the world, or people are at least trying to find beauty in a world that's like pretty messed up sometimes. I don't know. It can... It's just like electricity to that, like, mm. uh, <clears throat> stupor that I find myself in. I don't know. It gives me a reason, I guess, to keep trying. <clears throat> I like that, and I also... I don't know, I feel like looking at kind of like I'm a very visual guy. And so like thinking about what you're saying is kind of lifting us out of this dark space. And I hesitate to bring it back to that dark space. Um, but I have a couple thoughts on the dark space because when you're talking about recognizing the beauty in the darkest moments of my depression, sometimes I fear I will not be able to see that beauty. And so at least if I'm in the midst of this really dark, intense sadness, at least I know I'm feeling something. Right, at least I know I'm feeling something this intensely. And so I'm going to sit in it instead of choosing to to kind of broaden my mind and open my mind to the potentiality of something beautiful. Um, and so when I'm in the midst of that, it's super hard for me to 
be willing to walk the path that leads toward the beauty that leads towards the openness and the freedom that comes from being out of it because I'm not sure if that freedom will ever come when I'm stuck in the midst of it or at least if I know that I'm stuck in the midst of it at least it's something consistent at least it's a consistent feeling that mm. I can feel and it's not um, it's not something that will go away yeah I think that's something that's not really talked about a lot is that there is like a pull from those feelings it's not this thing that's so obviously crooked and damaging and bad for everybody around you I mean the comfort and the familiarity of those feelings is unlike a lot of other things and you may have spent more time there than you have in the fresh air so I don't know it kind of reminds me of that uh, movie room when uh, basically this mom and her kid get abducted and they get trapped in a basement uh, for many, many, many years and the kid grows up that way and then the kid grows up and they finally uh, make their way out and once he's out into the world he's pointing to everything and comparing it to the room that he was in and he's saying he wants to go back into the room this place that's so much smaller and they're under this guy's thumb when now they're out in the real world because that's all he ever knew. I don't know. I find some similarities with that. With ever like, there's no logic behind me wanting to go back to a place that I know is historically not good for me. But clearly, there's some incentive of comfort or something that is pulling you back. I think it's often put like pitch is just you versus your awful feelings that should be recognized as such instantly. But. When in reality, it's it's us versus me versus not even versus, but me alongside the reality of I experience something so intensely. Mm-hmm. It's not me versus, but it's me alongside. It's us alongside something that we experience so intensely. Um, and I like the word. I like the fact that you use the word romantic because it is that romantic pull. It is that that being drawn towards that intense feeling of being alone, that intensive feeling of being sad, that intensive feeling of being down, of being smothered almost. Um, it is that pull, and it's not in the midst of my depression. It's not me versus, but kind of me with that comfort blanket. Mm-hmm. Well, and do you think to, I mean, to kind of relate it back to um, the being satisfied and stuff when you look back on your life, do you feel like those feelings are um, kind of like how that those are drawing you away from what you would be satisfied with when you look back, I guess. Does that make sense of like all those feelings of like the comfort and stuff like that? I feel like when I look at my life, most of those things that pull me to that, that are the more like comforting things and like the romanticized things that like we're just kind of drawn towards aren't the things that I truly want down the line. Mm. I think I could say that when I go to that place, I'm 100% ripped out of the present. Like, of whoever I'm with, or if I'm just by myself, I'm not paying attention to the world around me in the way that I should be. And I think I would look back on my life if it was really marked by, almost like scales, like if there were just more days that 
I chose the comfort of that place and the, for me, like the stagnation that can come from just living there because kind of like what Josh was saying, I was just too afraid to let my truer self be vulnerable and I don't know. I would regret that for sure. If I could look back at my life and count up the days and it, I landed more on the side of, I chose myself and I chose, I don't know, whatever sick masochistic pleasure I get out of going back to these empty places because kind of vacating everything for everyone around me. I had a question for Josh, but he is no longer <laughs> present in the moment. Um, so I'll say real quick, just thinking about that place and maybe why we enjoy spending time there. Um, I feel like maybe for me, it's almost like when you're pitying yourself, it kind of makes you special. If that makes sense, like, well, it's me. No one understands. It's almost like in that feeling of isolation, like no one gets it like I do or like no one understands like I do, which mm-hmm. is obviously not true. But it kind of like, I don't know, makes me special in a way, which mm-hmm. is very dumb and not true at all. Um, but. I don't know. It's it's always been strange that when you are in that place, it it's hard to get out of it. Not just because it's hard to get out of it, even if you want to, but it's hard to want to get out of it for mm-hmm. some reason. But yeah, maybe that kind of comes back to like doing the hard thing. You know, you shouldn't be there because it's it's just better when you're not there. It's better for the ones you love when you're not there, and it's better for yourself long term when you're not there. In my opinion and experience, so. The hard thing is fighting your way out of it. Do you think that there's any value in that allowing yourself to be alone in a moment? And you're saying that the kind of nature of when you're in those moments of like depression or just those like really difficult times, is there value in allowing yourself for even just a minute to feel like you are the only one? in that situation that you're in. No is also an answer. <laughs> That's a good I don't question. Think that it's a, I don't think that it's a no from, from any of us, really. But honestly, like I'm just sitting here trying to reflect, like, what is the value of me sitting in that? I think for me, like, thinking of, like, moments that have been really... Um, moments where there, it's definitely not times when there are no other people that feel these ways or, like, Things like that, but I think of like um, times when like like when my grandmother passed away. It's like part of that moment. Like as much as I in that moment know that there are members of the eight that like I mean we've all dealt with loss. We've all like had these traumatic times. Like there was a period after that when even with you guys, like I just didn't want to like open up and be there just for like a period after that. And it's like, is there some value in like recouping yourself first? And like with Josh, with you, like, is there some amount of like value in like being internal for a bit, wrestling with things on your own and then opening up to the people you care about? 
I think it could do a couple things. It could help, obviously help you better understand the degree of the loss before you start airing it out to other people. I don't know. Like, any amount of processing like that seems like a healthy thing. Something else I thought about was that... I don't know. It's like you have two recognitions. You have the, like, bigger recognition that you know that your pain is not terribly unique. Like, there's always going to be someone who has had it worse or had a more extreme circumstance or a version of what you went through. But in a smaller sense, it is unique to you. And nobody else knows what it feels like to, at this age, in these circumstances, have this happen to you and have this rug pulled out from under you. But then to also understand that when things like that happen, everybody feels that way. Like, everybody's pain feels particular to them. So I feel like when something like that happens to me, if I take it in and I almost own it as, this is a unique kind of pain and is unique to me in my circumstances, and it hurts like hell, how much more compassionate could I be for other people when they're going through something if I just understand it, even as just like a... I don't know, a really close version to how that felt for me, you know? Yeah. To the severity that I felt that pain, and it felt unique, and, like, nobody understood me. Then when it happens to somebody else, it's just like, oh my gosh, like, I, this person, I don't know. It makes me lean more compassionate, which is something I'm always trying to do. Yeah. I think you saying that of like <laughs> opening up and trying to be more compassionate after going through things. I think the older I get, and this is one thing I, I it astounds me. I might say it astounds me. It, it, it surprises me that I guess sometimes people turn the opposite of this. But the more life I go through, and the more like the more flaws I see in myself, and also just the more like the more life you go with with like bad circumstances and situations like that and stuff the more it does make me want to be more compassionate and the more it does make me like just try to give grace to other people. I'm not always successful at it, but just the notion of like trying to look in other people's shoes and like your thoughts for your thoughts bone of like, yeah, other people are trying to communicate themselves and they've all gone through trauma and like hurt and stuff. And I just feel like the more life I go through, <laughs> the more it's apparent that we should all give, some degree of grace in in situations to other people, you know? I think something that I come back to um, that is that I am very glad that I chose to sit in it when I did sit in it. When I did sit in my depression, I'm like, retrospectively, I'm very glad that I chose to because like you were saying, Seth, it does allow me to, to engage with others with more grace, with more empathy, with more genuineness. Um, and so I don't necessarily think there's a benefit to choosing to sit in that state of depression in the moment, aside from just simple understanding of it in a better way, um, because I think everybody should fight their way out of it with everything they can, because it leads to a very dangerous place. Um, but retrospectively, looking at it, I'm very glad that I did sit there, because it does allow me to relate to people a little bit better. It does allow me to, to engage with others in a better way. And so... I don't know, it's a dangerous place to say, yes, there's so much benefit that comes from me sitting in that, or from you sitting in that, because it's such a dangerous space to play in, um, not knowing if somebody will see the other side, not knowing if I will see the other side of it. Uh, but looking back, I have seen the other side. 
and it allows me to engage in a way with others that I feel is more beneficial. Mm. Um, I don't know. It's just a dangerous gray area. I mean, it makes sense of like, it's kind of like you're playing with fire, you know, like, I mean, to some extent, like, yes, you could get benefits from that thing, but you should never be comfortable in that fact. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Like, you should never be content with sitting in it instead of striving to get, get out of it. But yes, there are benefits that can come from going through it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm just asking to make sure I understand properly. Um, I do want to go back and ask you something, Josh. You stepped away for a minute, but um, going back to um, the, the statement of, like, are there things that you, um, like, when you're in those moments and stuff like that, do you feel like it affects, we'll take a moment here. Jake The prodigal son returns. <laughs> Hello, everybody. I am here. Captain, yes. lead us. Kill the bad calf. Please continue. He's back. I'm so glad I made it. Took him an hour to figure out Steve Skype. <laughs> Late as usual. <laughs> Whoops. Oh, that's awesome. Um. Well, Jake, we are continuing our topic this week of uh, what are you satisfied with or with your life? You know what? We're just kidding. <laughs> we cut that out. Welcome back. We're talking about being sad. <laughs> Please. <laughs> um, <laughs> not much to derail, but um, but Josh, so in that moments of like when you are wanting to go back to those comfort things and wanting to go back to whether it be depression or just the like our own faults and stuff like that. Um, and you said that in the moment, that is what you want. Is that something that is that something that you want for your future in those moments, or is that something that is a momentary want, and that like the things that you would look back on and still be satisfied with your life? Do those stand true even in those moments, even though you like don't want those things right then? Are those still like present in your mind? I guess is my question. I'm not comfortable talking about this. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not, not sure I honestly understand what you're saying. You know what? We can just not worry about it. Cause... No, I mean, I think I get it. Um, In those moments, like looking back, it is not what I want. Like retrospectively, that is not what I want. I don't want to engage in that. But, but in, that in, moment that, where yeah. in that moment where I feel like it's all that I have, then I want to engage in it. And then I want to engage in the sadness because at least I feel something. At least I feel something so intensely, even if it's intense sadness, intense self-hatred, at least I feel something instead of just feeling absolutely numb, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. I think it definitely answers my question, for sure. I think, just real quick, I mean, I understand a little bit of the enjoyment of feeling something especially when you're in that hole it's like all right well this is anything i'll take it i just worry that you can't like stay there just like realistically it's not sustainable if that makes sense and that's looking back for me like that was kind of my conclusion on my time there was you know if i had stayed there i wouldn't have stayed there i guess if that makes sense <laughs> Not to be like super dark, but 
Yeesh. Let's talk about suicide. So, uh, Jake, you made it just in time. Never talk suicide. about suicide. Never talk about suicide. <laughs> uh, Seth, do you still have any more uh, thoughts on looking back and being satisfied in your life? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's not like a huge deviation, but I feel like last week we talked a lot about um, we talked about like being satisfied in terms of family, in terms of like your name going further than your life, I guess, and populating the world in that way. And like leaving a legacy and all of that. We talked about uh, looking back and being satisfied with like things you did, I guess, like accomplishments, having a certain like number of boxes that if you didn't check those, you would be disappointed. And the way I like kind of immediately thought about it, which it probably speaks to my like more sentimental nature in general, but I've kind of landed in a place for myself where I still definitely care about like getting a few things done before I'm kicked the bucket, seeing a few things, and I would love to have a family. But uh, in terms of what I can control now, I think I really just kind of put a lot of importance in how I treat people, I guess. And I think, what do you want to call that, like reputation or, I don't know. I... I don't know. I have seen or been close to some people who passed away and, you know, seen it go both ways, where the way they speak about these people who are gone is largely contingent on how they felt when they were around them, you know, whether it felt they couldn't trust this person, they felt unsafe around them, or, you know, they always felt welcome, they felt loved, they felt, you know, never judged when they were around them. And there's just kind of like a sincerity in that way of living. And I think in terms of like what I can control on a day-to-day basis in terms of brick by brick, just like building a life I could be proud of and looking back and being satisfied, I think it has a lot to do with the way I treated people and the way they felt when they were around me. And in real time now, like, recognizing when that's not happening, when I made people feel judged or I made them feel small or I was petty or selfish and really trying to kindly make some corrections there to myself. But I don't know, just like thinking about it a little differently in terms of you leave like a certain amount of, I don't know, ripples in the water wherever you might have been and just having the opportunity to make people's lives better in the time that you had and to do less harm than good, I think is saying a lot like in the world these days. And I don't know, just something I think about. Can I share something that I think ties in specific, like directly with what you're talking about, Seth, is that right before we got on to this podcast tonight, I um, was listening to a song by Mandolin Orange called Golden Embers. You guys ever heard of it? Mm. I actually love that group. So it's a really good, um, really good group. And the song Golden Numbers, my sister sent it to me um, in memoriam to my grandmother, and that's the way she framed it. But I was reading through the lyrics earlier and was going to bring this up, but you really kind of um, 
verbalized in a way better way what I was thinking about Seth. And I would just like to share a lyric from this song. Um, it's talking about loss. And it says, loss has no end. It binds to our connection. Um, and so with what you're saying, Seth, it's this idea of how I'm interpreting what you're saying versus in addition to how I'm taking this lyric. How do I live in a way that my loss kind of adds to the connection that I had with somebody else? If, it, if it's to add to the connection I have with you guys, how do I live in a way that, that my loss will add to the connection I had where there are these ripple effects? So how do I choose to live in a way that adds to the connection even though I have passed? And so um, I think I'm kind of reframing and moving my impl- my thoughts from last week of, you know, I, I just want to live spontaneously. I don't want to leave a legacy. You know, it's this stupid... Um, it's this stupid like quote of I don't want to mean a little to a lot of people but I want to mean a lot to a little like I want to mean enough to a few people so that my loss adds to that connection yeah. um, and adds those little ripple effects and I think that that song really put it into perspective for me so one of the things that makes me think of is um, since I have started at my job i've been there like three and a half years we've had several people leave and retire um, and so they'll usually throw like a little party for those people and like you can definitely tell the difference of those who have made a bigger impact in the workplace like the people who show up and like the comments that are made um at those parties to like say farewell to those people and it just has made me think like what are people going to say like when i move on from this job like, am I going to be one where people are going to come back and, and show up and say, like, super nice things? Or is it going to be just kind of like, oh, see you, Blade. Thanks for working. And that's made me think a lot. Like, I want that kind of reception where I can tell that I've, like, made an impact to the people around me. So one thing, I guess, Christian, like, one of the reasons I wanted to come back and work there and stuff so badly um, was to make a difference and, like, to to leave something there that, because it gave so much to me to get back to it. And I think, Blade, what you're saying is such, like, ingrained in the reason why I, like, what I want to leave when I leave there. Of <clears throat> uh, that notion that I, when I was here, I did something that, like, left a good taste in people's mouth and, like, left some amount of ripples of, like, yeah, you did something here that mattered and you were a part of something, you know? Um, and it was kind of, kind of a sobering thing when I was on the mission trip in Puerto Rico on the last day that we were there, we did this thing where we each went around and every person, um, like had a moment where like other people in the group said something about that person. Um, and at first it was just the students and it extended into the staff as well. And it was just a pretty sobering thing of which this is one of the last, this class this year is really the last class. I feel like I have a super big connection with, um, which I'm sure that that will continue on in the future. But as far as right now, um, they're kind of like, I have a lot of students in this class that are, I've built like some relationships with and stuff and, um, have had a chance to like listen to a lot of their life over the last five years. Um, and so it was just a really cool thing hearing some of their, the ways that I've been able to be a small part of that process for them of growing up and, um, moving on. So, I think that 
whereas I do have all these like check boxes of things I want to do in my life, I think it is good to have that centering mentality, Seth, of like your relationship with people and that legacy that you leave is, I mean, definitely more important in the grand scheme of things. And what people's like thoughts of you and how you made them feel, I think it does speak so much more and it does push people to be so much better than <laughs> all the other things that I want to do in my life as well, you know? So I, I appreciate those thoughts. Jake, do you have any thoughts for us on uh, from last week? I think what I'm going to do moving forward is like to continue to ask this to maybe some random people in my life, whether it's like my brothers or it's just like some coworkers that I'm just like really close with. Just because I love what you guys have said, and I feel like I've like started to even add what you've said to my own kind of thought and my thought process behind this all. So I, I think it would be cool to see what adding more people to this would be like and if it would help me grow. I think that's one thing that I do appreciate so much about this podcast is, <laughs> is it is so good to um, just hear your thoughts and stuff, and I'm sure I'll reiterate this at the end of the podcast, but I appreciate um, everything I gain from listening to you guys every time. Um, does anybody have any closing thoughts on uh, what your life would have to look like to be satisfied? And if not... Uh, I have a little thought real quick. Go for it. I just actually forgot that I wrote this down, but at one point last week we were talking about like spontaneity, and I think I mentioned that I'm an incredibly non-spontaneous person. Um, but I wrote down spontaneity equals connection to people. And I think the reason I wrote that down is the moments where I have been spontaneous, even though they are few, usually result in some connection with other people, whether it's strangers or friends. And maybe kind of similar to what Seth said earlier about uh, ripples in the water, which I really liked, and kind of connecting with people and touching people's lives. Um, Maybe there's a link between that and spontaneity. Maybe spontaneity and that, at least for me, in my experience. Um, so maybe after all we've said, uh, looking back, I would hope to be someone that fought his own nature but was also spontaneous. Although being spontaneous for me would be incredibly against my own nature, so that'd be included. <laughs> it ties it all in. I just try to be spontaneous. It's definitely difficult. I feel like that's one of the biggest things of when I get stuck in a rut of like being super busy with like mundane things that it's so hard to like just break out and be like, oh yeah, let's hang out with these random people or do these random things, you know? I feel like I'm becoming such an old fart. But anyway, uh, Bowen, you got some office trivia for us? I do, I do. I'm not sure if this week's question is going to be difficult or easy. If it's from season one or half of season two, I got it because I watched all of those today. So, I'm sorry, friend. This is from <laughs> season six. So, <laughs> all right, <laughs> you're out of luck. So, uh, all right. Here is the question. I'm going to read the quote 
from Oscar. Um, and then I'm going to ask you to fill in the two blanks. This is the episode called uh, Shareholder Meeting, where Michael gets invited to New York to speak at the shareholder <laughs> meeting. I love that episode. <laughs> fantastic episode. Hate the twirl. <laughs> right, uh, anyway, this is a quote from Oscar. The Dunder Mifflin stock symbol is blank. Do you know what that stands for? Blank, blank, and blank. Because that's what you have to be to own it. And as one of those blank, I believe the board owes me answers. So what is the stock symbol? <laughs> and what do the three letters stand for? Uh, DMI, dummies, morons, and idiots. Ding, ding, ding. Well done. Oh, my gosh. Jeez. <laughs> an odd Truly an odd God. <laughs> and Blade uh, takes the lead with that. Uh, he's up to six now. So, well so do done, I get Blade. a point for each blank? Or... Nah, just one. <laughs> just <laughs> change the rules as we go. Blade, thank you. All right, fine. Me. I'll give you two. Um, <laughs> does anybody have anything for our something new, something old? Did you guys do thoughts for your thoughts? We did. Can I add one? You I don't have anything. On time. I don't have anything. <laughs> I was at a dinner. I was at a dinner with a professor. <laughs> Listen, I've got a thought for your thought. It's more of a rant. And if I was a smarter man, I'd work it into a comedy bit. So maybe one day I'll do that. <laughs> so... Here it is, folks. This is what I have to say. I've been recently <laughs> thinking. <laughs> recently, I've been thinking about, uh, like, we all know we can't park in handicap parking spots. We know this, and then it gets a little more gray when it comes to handicap stalls. People use handicap stalls. You don't have to leave those for handicap people. There's a great curb your enthusiasm episode for this. However, I'd like to introduce a new form of handicap, a silent one that I think we've been living with for far too long, and it's called the car sick handicap. When people say, "Ooh, I'm car sick, so I have to sit in the front seat." Oh, I get car sick, so I can't sit in the back. It's like, <laughs> what are you kidding? Let anybody who says that phrase sit in the front seat? Like that's outrageous. People are abusing that system. Let me tell you. I live in a community with people, and there was a girl who was here, and it was like, ooh, I get car sick. And then one time we were all piling into the van like three weeks later after she said this, and uh, we just all naturally sat in the back seat. And I was like, why isn't anyone in the front? And one of the girls said, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. She gets car sick, so she has to sit in the front. And she wasn't even like she – was, she was late. She sat in the front seat. The car sick handicap is not legitimate. I don't think car sick – that's not a handicap. Throw up in a bag like the rest of us. Get lost. <laughs> and ran. I, I think there are legitimate handicaps, and I, but I will say, car sickness is not one of them. Retweet. Thank you. Mike drop. Mike bomb. Alright, so uh, thank you for our handicap rant. I'm pro handicap. I don't like the tone that I'm leaving this on. Let it be known. I am a friend. I am a friend to all. Of the cripples. <laughs> Evil body of cripples. And, and everybody. Handicap Jake, everybody. Jake, so. friend of cripples, Tuttle. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, does, does anybody have anything, something new, something old? 
I'm going to throw out there a little show that I've been watching. Um, I, I mentioned it earlier. Uh, I watched the first season and a half of The Office today. It's a show that you guys have been sleeping Whoa, on. I think that you really should. Uh... All right, it's spring break, okay? <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> the first season's only eight episodes, so I really only watched like 12 episodes. That's only like three hours. It's easy. Okay. It's easy to just kind of like let it play. I honestly show. said one more episode four times, so that just kept happening. But yeah, you guys should uh, not sleep on that. It's a good show. Check it again. <laughs> Say it <It's> again. Uh... <laughs> Anybody got any other ones? So let me I take my time old. machine and go back in time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I'll just leave again. <laughs> 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 I'll just get out of here. You know, we brought you into Random About the Cripples, so you had your segment about the cripples that you hate. I have something something old and something new. It's the same thing. Game of Thrones, going back several years now. I've been watching through them all, catching up. New season starts this Sunday. By the time this podcast gets edited and published, Season, season eight, eight will be, be over. over. <laughs> so, <laughs> this won't make sense to anyone listening, but just know when we're recording this, season eight is coming up this Sunday, and uh, I'm pretty excited. You. I watched a couple of movies last week. Uh, I guess they're kind of newish. One was Pacific Rim Two. Yeah. Pacific Rim Uprising. Um, which was so Pacific Rim one was right on that border of being really cool and really dumb, and Pacific Rim two was way over the line of just being really dumb, like it was so stupid. And it no, was disappointing. Um, well, they also had a giant uh, kaiju Megazord at the end, yeah. and it was like this is outrageous. <laughs> yeah, but, was, uh, they should have just named it Giant. Kaiju Megasword. <laughs> I would have been would down with that. <laughs> also, that was like a very anti-Chinese government movie. They were like the bad guys in that movie. Well, ultimately the, you know. Yeah, I know. hear great things about the Chinese government. <laughs> really depends. Hey, cripples! Like Can you believe Chinese that? Cripples. <laughs> <laughs> you you imagine this with Chinese? <laughs> But the second movie I watched... Um, you thought you was... were just going to waltz in here and give your opinions. <laughs> uh-uh. Not tonight. I'm, I'm uh, sorry. The second movie you I watched, off. which this is all thanks to Neil's Hulu account, uh, was Annihilation. Yes. Which I've been wanting to watch for a while, and I thought it was a pretty interesting movie. So, I rather enjoyed it. I did as well. That was one of the few movies I've seen with Natalie Portman when I actually... Didn't mind her in it. All right. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to uh, another episode of Chilling in the Room. <laughs> Thank you to each of you, uh, Jake, for joining us at the last minute and giving us your your opinions. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, that is all for this week. We'll see you next time. Go to Pete. Give me a hug. Give me a hug. Give me a hug. I'm all set. 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 I'm all set.